Welcome, welcome. Good morning. We've all heard the phrase, keep your eyes on the ball, keep your eyes on the target, keep your eyes on the goal. Why do we hear these statements? Because they're important if you want to hit the ball, hit the target, or to score a goal, and ultimately to win a prize. Here's an example of somebody taking their eyes off the ball. It's Super Bowl 42. It's the undefeated New England Patriots are playing the not so good, just barely made it into the Super Bowl, New York football giants, <laughs> which I know most of you here are rivals against the giants. Well, The play that some people have forgotten took place on the Giants' game-winning drive. It was second and five, a minute and 40 left in the game. Eli Manning, the quarterback of the Giants, drops back, trying to look for a receiver, scrambling, probably has his eyes closed, and he, he throws the ball down the right sideline to David Tyree. David Tyree's off, not where he's supposed to be, and the ball is going head and right for Asante Samuel. All Asante Samuel has to do is catch the ball, and the game's over. The Patriots have a perfect season, 19-0. But does he catch the ball, I ask you? <laughs> it goes right through his hands. And that's where I started having to get therapy, okay? With this. <laughs> um, so the ball goes right through his hands. On the a plays following that, um, Eli Manning drops back. David Tyree again. Eli Manning scrambling. He looks for Tyree. Once again, he just chucks it up. It's the infamous helmet catch where he caught it and, you know, fell to the ground. And they eventually went on. Uh, Eli Manning hit... Um, Plaxico Burris in the end zone to win the game 21 to 17. The <laughs> what caused the perfect season to be lost? One player on one play took his eyes off the ball. He's probably caught ball like that a billion times. But many games are lost because of people just taking their eyes off of what's important. Today's Bible study is about keeping our eyes on the Lord, our Savior, our only source of help. Please turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. If you're using a Bible under the seat, it's on page 5.12 and 5.13. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for your word. And thank you for the, the worship and all the songs that were just so encouraging. And even now, Father, we 
just ask that you would open your word to us and that we'd see you in new ways. We would hear from you and we would be changed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in chapter 20, I want to start with verse 12. And verse 12 says, and I'm in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. It says, O Lord God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. The last word, you, is referring to our Lord, Jehovah, the self-existing one. This is probably one of my most favorite Bible verses. I mean, there's a lot of good verses in the Bible, but this one, it ranks up there for me. Why? Probably because I faced a lot of challenges where I had no power, no ability, and, and I didn't know what to do. So this verse encouraged me to keep my eyes on him. Corey Tim Boone once said, you never know God is all you need until God is all you have. I often also feel as a nation, as a nation, we have no power against the problems that we're facing. So so I really think that this verse is very important for today. I honestly think, and I, and I would maybe think that you would agree, that there's no easy solution to the problems that we're facing. Now, they may sound like, they make it sound like it's easy. Like, for example, we're all going to have electric cars. It's easier to say than to do. So this morning, I want to remind myself and others the importance, the importance of keeping our eyes on the Lord so we can catch that important knowledge that we need to look to him for our resources. So the importance of keeping our eyes on the Lord. But there's a challenge with that. Because in in today's world, it's hard to keep our eyes on anything for long since we're bombarded with so many distractions. Jesus warns Martha when she was distracted with with much serving. He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. And what was that good part? The good part was that she was sitting at Jesus' feet, listening and learning and looking to him. He was teaching her about the kingdom of God. It's hard not to be distracted with the overload of information that we receive at any given moment. And I didn't say day, I said it in a moment. From email, text, phone calls, the internet news, it's constantly being bombarded at us. You, 
go to, you're watching the news. You, you see the news on. You have the stocks uh, market going across the top, breaking news going on the bottom. You have your, your cell phone coming out with texts. I mean, it's just constantly bombarding you with information. So little time, unless we really focus on it, of listening to Jesus teach us about the kingdom of God. In Hebrews, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for the joy that was set before him, and that's you, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Let's take a personal inventory right now of what our eyes are on. What, what are we focused on? Is it the stock market? Is it my 401k? Is it what's happening in the news? Is it my political party? Am I fixated on my favorite sports team? Am I fascinated on what's happening in Hollywood? Am I worried about the latest COVID variant? Am I focusing on things that breathe life? Or am I focusing on things that breathe death? Today's Bible story, we see an example of a young king, Jehoshaphat. He was probably his late 30s when he had to deal with this tremendous problem. It was roughly about 2,800 years ago, but this is a real story, and it happened in southern Israel. Jehoshaphat is in Jerusalem, and he is the fourth king of Judah, the southern kingdom, after it's split. And this is good to know that he is the the great-great-great-grandson of King David. So the first thing, the first thing about the importance of keeping our eyes on God, it starts with prayer. So if, if you would look at verse 3, no, excuse me, verse 2, and it says, a great multitude is coming against you. So someone came and told Jehoshaphat, this great multitude is coming against you. And they're coming against you from beyond the sea of Syria, and they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi, which is only at the most 20 miles away. They're not that far away. And this great multitude was actually three nations that, that gathered together, made a coalition, and they were coming to take over Jerusalem. I believe, and, I, and I'm safe, I think it's safe to say that many of you believe, that our nation has a great multitude coming against it. Look at the national debt. It's over $30 trillion. Now, we are one of the richest nations in the world, but we, meaning the people, the people are, not the government. 
for the government, imagine running your household that much in debt. You wouldn't be able to. But, but, our, but these leaders write checks with money that they don't have, and it's, it's weakening our nation. But they just do it continually. And I'm not saying one side or the other, all of them. Look at the civil unrest in our uh, civil unrest and political unrest in our country. That's another great storm that's brewing. Where abortion, where you, where, where an unborn child can be murdered in the mother's womb, and they're going to say it's a good choice. Isaiah says, "Woe to those who call evil good. Woe to those who call evil good." Look at the problems at the border. So complex. God himself set boundaries around the nation of Israel. But here, it's so confusing. Nobody knows what to do. Now, I look now, and I go back to September 11th. And many of you maybe weren't even alive. But September 11th was a challenging time in our country. But I can tell you, there was unity like I never saw before. There wasn't a blue and a red. It was, there were people driving down the road with American flags. I'm an American, wearing American shirts, proud to be an American. That, I used to love that song, I'm proud to be an American. And I would stand, I, I would cry when that song played. But now they're rewriting American history making us like we're the worst nation that ever was. Don't believe the headlines. Don't believe it when they say we're a bad nation. We're the most generous nation ever that existed. I read an article in April 2022, just a couple months ago. It says that Christian nationalists is the biggest single threat to American religious freedom. Christians, Christians are a threat to religious liberties. There's so many more threats coming our way. But the goal today, the goal today is to keep our eyes on Christ, on him, on his return, on his word, and not on the problems. But I'm, I just want to, for context here, he was having a great multitude coming against him. But don't think that we're sitting in some place of comfort that a great multitude is not coming against us. In verse 3, it says, Jehoshaphat feared but what did he do? He set himself to seek the Lord. He proclaimed the fast throughout all Judea. Yes, Jehoshaphat feared. But like his grandfather David wrote in the psalm, whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. And that's just exactly what he did. In the Amplified Bible, that same verse says, he set himself determinately as a vital need. He knew that he needed God, and that's where he went. There's a hymn that was written approximately 100 years ago, 
And, and, and I know you're familiar with it, but it's a beautiful hymn where it says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in light of his glory and his grace. He proclaimed a fast. He showed great leadership by seeking the Lord. And he got others to follow the example. In verse 4 it says, So Judah gathered together with him to seek help from the Lord. Pretty smart. In all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Verse 13 gives a little more detail of who exactly came. It says, Now all Judah with their little ones their wives, their children, stood before the Lord. So we're talking, they, they had their infants with them also. And they all went to seek the Lord. Matthew Henry wrote in his commentary that they brought their children so God would have mercy on them. He wrote that they probably said, Lord, we are indeed a provoking people that deserve to be abandoned and ruined. But here are our little ones. They're innocent. Let them not perish in this storm. So he set himself to seek the Lord. He gathered together with the people. And then he went to the house of the Lord. Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord, the new court. And and here's what he prayed. Verse 6, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might, so that no one is able to withstand you? Jehoshaphat recognizes who God is the God of our fathers, the God of heaven. He rules over everything, all the kingdoms of the nation. In his hand is power and might. No one can stand against him. If only I or we could remember that, we wouldn't worry or be afraid too often. In verse 7 it says, Are you not our God? who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel. And you gave it, the land, to the descendants of Abraham. Jehoshaphat also recognizes his relationship to God. He's our God. He's our Father. We're we're family. You drove out the inhabitants before your people, Israel. You gave the land to the descendants of Abraham. We are Abraham's descendants. In verse 8 it says, And they dwelt in it and built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, We will dwell in the land you gave us. We built you a sanctuary for your name, saying. And now in verse 9, Jehoshaphat is actually... Part of this prayer is coming from Solomon's prayer in chapter 6. 
And you can go back and read that, but these are some excerpts from it. If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple like beggars, and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, you will hear and you will save. And in verse 10 he says, And now, here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. This is the, 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 the armies that are coming against them. From the, if you're on a map, you've you got the Dead Sea, they're in the Jordanian area, modern-day Jordanian area. Whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. So when, when, it, when Israel was coming out of Egypt, God told them, leave these three countries alone. And Israel turned from them and did not destroy them. So God's reminding them about, look, you didn't let us destroy them then, and, and now look. Now, it's interesting that these three nations are all descendants, all descendants related to them. Um, Moab and Ammon are descendants of Lot, and Mount Seir are descendants of Esau. So those armies are coming against them. In verse 11, he says, Here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you've given us to inherit. Just reminding God. In verse 12, it says, and this is where we started. O Lord God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Our only remedy is our eyes are upon you. Our only solution, our eyes are upon you. Our total dependence is our eyes are upon you. We have no power, but our eyes are upon you. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. The thing to remember is our eyes are upon you. That would, that's for them, and it's for me. It, it's, I, I can't tell you how much that verse means to me because a, a lot of times I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on him, and that's so beautiful submission of Jehoshaphat. So we... We talked about the importance of keeping our eyes on God, the prayer aspect. But now comes the promise. Believe his promises. In verse 13, it says, All Judah with the little ones, their wives, their children, they stood before the Lord. They're waiting now. He prayed, and now they're waiting. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. And it gives the genealogy, the son of uh, Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the son of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. So the spirit fell on this guy, fell on him. And then he said in verse 15, listen, all you Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, 
Thus says the Lord to you. This is going to be some comforting words. Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of the great multitude. For the battle is not yours but God's. I love that. Do not be afraid. Don't fear. Nor dismayed. Don't be shattered. Don't be broken. Why? Because the battle is not yours. Verse 16, it says, Tomorrow go down against them, for they will surely come up the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Zerel. Jehoshaphat might have been afraid that day or that night. But as the Bible promises, weeping may endure or stay for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Another psalm says, In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. It tells them to go down against them. There's action that's going to be required. Steps of faith. They will surely come up. God's telling them exactly where they're going to come up. And you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Zerel. He's telling them to go, but he's telling them, look, you're not going to have to fight. The battle's mine. You just go. In verse 17, it says, you will not need to fight in this battle. Repeating that. Position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Again, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow you will go out against them. Key phrase, the Lord is with you. You're not going to need to fight, but it does say position yourself. But then it says to stand still, see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go against them, for the Lord is with you. So the importance of keeping our eyes on God, we have the prayer connection, then we receive the promise, but now we have the praise that the Lord, he praises the Lord before the battle. And in verse 18, Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before him, worshiping the Lord. So they don't even have the victory yet, but, but he's worshiping. The pure joy when we keep our eyes on the Lord, knowing that we have the victory, knowing that the battle is his, knowing that we don't need to be afraid. You his child, okay? You don't let someone mess with your child? Hmm? Mm -mm. In verse 19, the, the, the Levites also stood up and praised, praised God with their voices loud and high. And in verse 20 it says, So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness. And then Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me. He's getting, he's getting braver and stronger in, in, the, in the promises. O Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. A prophet just told them to go. And now he's believing God, and then he's believing 
the prophet. Believe in God, you're going to be established. Believe in the prophet, you're going to prosper. He rose early in the morning, like, let's get going. He went into the wilderness, believing God would deliver him. Jehoshaphat stood and said, and I can picture him shouting, Hear me, believe in the Lord, believe his prophets. Next we have, we have the prayer, we have the promise, we have the praise. But now we have the power. In verse 22, now when they began to sing to praise the Lord, excuse me, when now when they began to sing and, and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah. And they were defeated. And, and what, what basically happened was, and it's recorded in verse 23, is Ammon and Moab took out Mount Seir. It's like, I don't know, I don't, you don't know what happens, but they joined forces and they wiped out Mount Seir. And then when that was over, um, Ammon and uh, Moab fought against each other and killed, killed, killed everybody. So in verse 24, so when Judah came to the place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were dead bodies fallen to the earth. No one escaped. And in verse 25, it says, they found an abundance of valuables, precious jewels, and it was three days gathering the spoil. Imagine that. And when they returned, every man of Judah, in verse 27, when they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat in front of them goes back to the Jerusalem with great joy. So they, they left Jerusalem a little afraid, probably a lot afraid, but trusting God trusting that he's going to be with them. They got their eyes on him, and now they're coming back with joy. In verse 28, it says, So they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord. So it starts at the house of the Lord. It finishes in the house of the Lord. They start with worship. They end with worship. Verse 29 says, The fear of God was on all the inhabitants of those countries that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And in verse 30, it says, God gave him rest all around, and that was Jehoshaphat. Second Chronicles 20.12, just read it one more time. It says, O our God, will you not judge them for we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. I, I would like that. Well, that's my prayer, and I'd like it to be your prayer um, for yourself and even for our nation. That, and, and 
cry out to him knowing that we don't have the answers but our eyes are upon him. There is a a similar verse that I recently read that echoes the importance of keeping our eyes on the Lord. And it's in Isaiah chapter 45. It says, look to me and be saved all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. I also read an article that highlighted the importance of keeping my eyes on Jesus related to this verse. So the article starts. It was a small gospel meeting. Little more than a dozen people were present. A snowstorm raged outside. The scheduled speaker was unable to make it to the meeting. A 15-year-old boy who was eagerly seeking salvation and had intended to go to a different meeting, but was tired of fighting the snow, turned into this meeting instead. Here is a description of the meeting from the boys, in the boys' words. At last, a very thin-looking man, a shoemaker, a tailor, or something of that sort, went up to the pulpit to preach. He was obligated to stick to his text for the simple reason that he had little else to say. The text was, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. He did not even pronounce the words rightly, but that didn't matter. There was, I thought, a glimpse of hope for me in that text. The preacher began thus, my dear friends, This is a very simple text indeed. It says, now look. Now looking, don't take a deal of pains. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It's just a look. Well, a man needn't go to college to learn to look. He may be the biggest fool, and yet he can still look. He don't need to be worth a thousand a year to be able to look. Anyone can look. Even a child can look. But then the text says, look unto me. Many of ye are looking unto yourselves, but it's no use looking there. You'll never find any comfort in yourself. No, look to him by and by. Jesus Christ says, look unto me, look to Christ. The text says, look unto me. Then the good man followed up his text in this way. Look unto me, I'm sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me, I'm hanging on the cross. Look unto me, I am dead and buried. Look unto me, I rised again. Look unto me, I ascend to heaven. Look unto me, I'm sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, poor sinner, look unto me, look unto me. When he had gone about the length that he managed to spin, uh, 10 minutes or so. Then he looked at me under the gallery, and I dare say, with so few present, he knew me to be a stranger. Just fixing his eyes on me as if he knew all my heart, he said, Young man, you look very miserable. Well, I did but I haven't been accustomed to have remarks made of my personal appearance from the pulpit before. 
However, it was a good blow struck. He continued, you will always be miserable, miserable in life, miserable in death, if you do not obey my text. But if you obey now, this moment, you will be saved. Then lifting his hands, he shouted, young man, look to Jesus, look to Jesus Christ, look, 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 you have nothing to do but to look and live. I saw at once the way of salvation, like as when the brazen serpent was lifted up, the people only looked and were healed. So it was with me. I have been waiting to do 50 things, but when I heard the word look, what a charming word it seemed to me. Oh, I looked until I almost have looked my eyes away. There, then, the cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away. At that moment, I saw the sun. I could have risen that instant and sung with a most enthusiastic of them, O precious blood of Christ and the simple faith which looks alone to him. The 15-year-old boy who wrote this was Charles Spurgeon. That night, he found Christ by simply looking to Jesus and realizing that he was a sinner that needed a Savior. Eventually, he would preach preach for almost 40 years to audience ranging from 5 to 6,000 until he went to heaven. Jehoshaphat also needed a Savior. He prayed realizing he had no power, he didn't know what to do, but he had his eyes also on God. He received the promise, he positioned himself, he stood still to see the salvation of the Lord. He praised the victory before the battle, and then he obtained power from the Lord, knowing that he didn't need to fight. Today, we need to look to be saved. We need to look now. Even as you're sitting there with eyes open, we need to look to him. Not look to me, not look to the church, but look to him. And as you look to him, you can simply say, I know I'm a sinner because you are, and I am too. I, I, I teach the little kids, and as cute as they are, they're all little sinners. <laughs> they are. Dear Jesus, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe you died for my sins. Right now, I look to you, I turn from my sins. I open the door of my heart and my life because I I, I can't do this without you. I confess to you right now, you're my personal Savior, my only hope. Thank you for saving me. Let's pray. Father, we do 
Thank you so much uh, for who you are. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the comfort. We thank you for the instructions that you provide. And, and even now, Father, I do pray if, if somebody's here that, that doesn't know you or hasn't trusted in you, I, I'd pray right now that you would just help them to just look to you and be saved. Father, I thank you so much for your promises where when we don't know what to do, that we just have to keep our eyes upon you. You are our only source of help. Lord, I lift up our nation to you right now, the leaders and just all of the problems that we have the great multitude that's coming against us, Father. And we pray that the church, the Christians in this country, would be strong witnesses, that Jesus would be preached from every pulpit, and that the church itself would just be empowered with more and more of your Holy Spirit to enable us to be the best witnesses going forward, not fearful, but keeping our eyes upon you. We need you, Lord. We love you, Lord. And in your son's precious name we pray, amen.